Welcome. You are listening to a recording provided for the use of the blind and print impaired. Materials or items read on Airs LA are the copyright property of the original authors and publishers. No unauthorized use or duplication is permitted. I'm Ernesto Sambrano. Today's article is by Wesley Lowry from the November 2021 edition of GQ, Unvarnished, Part 1. Please note, this is a men's magazine, and as such, may include offensive topics or language. For decades, he worked tirelessly to make himself the biggest movie star on the planet. Then he hit his fuck-it 50s, and everything changed. Now, as he prepares a raw new memoir and a pair of films tackling racial themes, we'd like to introduce you to the real Will Smith. It has been a long, miserable day by the time Will Smith makes his way through the Louisiana mud past hundreds of extras. A positive. False, as it turned out. COVID test on set this morning meant a new round of nasal swabs for everyone. And a series of thunderstorms has delayed today's shoot for hours. A 30-minute pause is mandated each and every time that lightning strikes. And there have already been dozens. Nothing has been easy about the making of Emancipation an Apple TV Plus project that tells the story of Whipped Peter, the black man whose tattered back is depicted in one of the most famous photos of an enslaved American. The movie was originally slated to shoot in Georgia, but filming was relocated in response to the state's attempt to pass new voting restrictions. The current location, deep in the muck about an hour from New Orleans, requires a near-daily battle with the terrain. By the time I showed up in mid-July, production was already behind schedule. We're at the mercy of Mother Nature, director Antoine Fuqua told me. The heat, rainstorms, lightning, mosquitoes, the swamp with alligators. And then, of course, there's the subject matter. As I watched the filming from a few feet away, Smith stands beneath a massive railway bridge the enslaved men are being forced to construct. Smoke from the nearby campfires sticks to the skyline above, and the camera catches Smith's character conspiring in whispers with his fellow workers about how they might find freedom just out of earshot of their Confederate captors. I've always avoided making films about slavery, Smith had told me about an hour earlier as we sat in a production trailer. In the early part of my career, I didn't want to show black people in that light. I wanted to be a superhero. So I wanted to depict black excellence alongside my white counterparts. I wanted to play roles that you would give to Tom Cruise, and the first time I considered it was Django, but I didn't want to make a slavery film about vengeance. Emancipation is different. It would be a disservice to think of it as a slavery movie, Smith explained to me. It's going to be a David Lean-style epic, he said, with the flavor of an action flick. More apocalypto than 12 years a slave. The story itself is not, just, about the dehumanizing violence of slavery. It's also about perseverance. Peter is believed to escape the Confederacy in 1863, after a harrowing 10-day journey through the Louisiana Bayou, joined Lincoln's army, and then returned to the South to help free those he'd left behind. Joined Lincoln's army, and then returned to the South to help free those he'd left behind. It's a difficult story to tell, an even harder one to tell well, and exactly the type that, at this juncture in his life and career, the 53-year-old Smith is yearning to put out into the world. This was one that was about love and the power of black love, Smith said, and that was something that I could rock with. We were going to make a story about how black love makes us invincible. For decades, Will Smith was driven by the desire to be the biggest movie star on earth. Early in his career, he even came up with a formula based on the top 10 box office successes of all time. He achieved that goal so effortlessly, ruling the July 4th weekend from 1996, Independence Day, to 2008, Hancock, 
that it's easy to forget how unlikely it was for a rapper turned actor. But over the last 10 years, as Smith has become increasingly focused on evolving as a human being, a gulf has emerged between Will Smith the movie star and Will Smith the man. We've gotten glimpses of his efforts to close that gap in moments like last year's Fresh Prince of Bel-Air reunion, when he sat down with the actor Janet Hubert and admitted culpability in her departure from the sitcom. There was also his appearance on his wife Jada Pinkett Smith's Red Table Talk Facebook show, where he opened up about some of the most intimate details of their marriage, which birthed a red-eyed internet meme to rival the crying Jordan. He's embraced social media, a young man's game, with the fervor of an aspiring actor he once was, not the global superstar he is today. And in November, he'll publish a memoir that reveals new information about his troubled relationship with his father, his adventures in self-actualization during what he calls the fuck-it fifties, and the ups and downs of his relationship with Jada. Before I spoke to Smith, his collaborators and friends kept telling me how great a place he's in at the moment, that he's centered, deliberate, and even spiritual. Once we settled in for a conversation, Smith told me that his aim now is strictly to tell stories that help people figure out how to be happy here. He continued, The idea is that I spent the first half of my life gathering, 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 and now the second half of my life is going to be giving it all away. That means making movies like King Richard, directed by Ronaldo Marcus Green, and due in theaters this November, in which Smith portrays Richard Williams, the eccentric, hard-nosed father of Venus and Serena. In the Grand Smith tradition, it's an inspiring story of triumph over adversity that contains an affecting character study. The irascible Williams trained both daughters with balls collected from the tennis clubs he couldn't get into, and protected them from the grind of tennis and the media in a way that makes him look like a prophet of the current moment in which athletes like Naomi Osaka and Simone Biles prioritize their agency and mental health. Smith plays him as a crotchety, unbending, but fiercely loving parent. My dad was and still is way before his time. Serena Williams told me in an email. You see, when someone is different, when they don't act or look how a person assumed they would, the first reaction is often fear. They think, how do we break them? My dad anticipated that, but he would not allow himself for his family to be broken. Smith's portrayal, Serena added, was so convincing that there were moments she had to remind herself that it wasn't actually her father on screen. Richard Williams is a lot like my father, Smith explained to me. So when I first read the script... I understand what it's like to want your kids to succeed. I had done a little bit with my kids. I understood what it was to try to mold a young mind, how it's different with sons than it is with daughters. Emancipation is an even bigger swing, the kind of big-budget script that often lingers in pre-production for years, if not decades. Yet when Smith took the film to studios last year, George Floyd had died and the world had changed. The entire world was in lockdown, watched what happened to George Floyd, and stood up with one voice and said, we see it. We agree, Smith said. That's never happened before, and with that, the opportunities are unlike they've ever been. I've been trying to get movies made for a long time, and the amount of money that Apple is paying to tell the story of emancipation is unprecedented, and those opportunities are globally present and plentiful. In a golden era for black talent in Hollywood, when funding is available for projects that once would have been overlooked, Smith sees no sense in wondering if the Apple is poisoned. I just want to encourage black Americans to take the acknowledgement and seize upon the present global opportunities, Smith continued. I would just like us to argue less about certain things and pay attention to the big ripe fruit. Naturally, I asked him which certain things we should be arguing about less, prompting Smith to slow his sentences and consider his words carefully. This is a pitfall area, he told me, before diving into one of the more contentious semantic debates in contemporary politics. 
So abolish the police. Defund the police. I would love if we would just say, defund the bad police. It's almost like I want, as black Americans, for us to change our marketing for the new position we're in. So critical race theory, just call it truth theory, Smith said. The pendulum is swinging in our direction beautifully, and there's a certain humility that will most capitalize on the moment for the future of black Americans, without discounting the difficulty and the pain and the emotion. This is a difficult area to discuss, but I feel like the simplicity of Black Lives Matter was perfect. Anybody who tries to debate Black Lives Matter looks ridiculous. So when I talk about the marketing of our ideas, Black Lives Matter was perfection. From a standpoint of getting it done, Black Lives Matter gets it done. Defund the police doesn't get it done, no matter how good the ideas are, he continued. I'm not saying we shouldn't defund the police. I'm saying, just don't say that, because then people who would help you won't. You can't blame Smith if he's confident he knows the best way to tell a story. The man is a natural raconteur. Between takes, I watched as he recalled with his assistants at the time, while filming Concussion in Pittsburgh, that they all attempted to make it to an evening showing of Denzel Washington's The Equalizer, also directed by Fuqua. The driver of the car, a dreadlocked friend named Scotty with a Trinidadian accent to match, had missed the exit, forcing them to take a 22-minute loop in order to turn around. Then, he missed it again. What's the point of going to the movies if you miss the trailers? Smith yelled out, prompting Scotty to throw their vehicle in reverse and back up on the freeway until they got to the exit. Smith told the story at least three times as additional people joined the circle, each new rendition featuring new details, new animated gestures, and an even more refined take on Scotty's accent, until his staff and security were all giggling with glee. This November, when his new memoir, Will, hits bookshelves, the world will receive the most unvarnished version to date of Smith's own story. He had wanted to write a book for a few years by the time his team reached out to Mark Manson author of the mega-bestseller The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, while Smith was filming 2019's Gemini Man. An hour later, I'm on his private jet, Manson recalled, adding that the entire experience still seemed surreal. Pieces of my brain were splattered against the wall. The two spent a few days on the Cayman Islands, getting to know each other and brainstorming. I've spent my whole career hiding my true self from the world, Manson said Smith told him. I want this book to show people who I really am. Later, Smith explained to me that he just really wanted to totally destroy the clinging to Will Smith, trying to separate the image of Will Smith from who I actually am. By the last day of their trip, Manson presented a rough chapter outline. Hell yeah, hell yeah, he said Smith exclaimed, running around the room in excitement. This is it. Smith's story starts in Winnifield, the middle-class neighborhood in West Philadelphia where his parents moved the family when he was two years old. For a young black family in the 1970s, this was as American dream as you could get. He writes of the tightly clustered brick row houses. In the book, he discusses what he describes as one of the most defining experiences of his life. At the age of nine, watching as his father punched his mother in the side of the head. It was not only the violence Smith saw his father inflict while growing up, but this particular incident, he writes, has defined who I am today. His brother jumped up, trying to intervene. His sister fled, hiding in her bedroom. Smith remembers freezing, too scared to do anything. Smith never discussed the violence with his father, who championed his son's career until he died in 2016. My father tormented me, and he was also one of the greatest men I've ever known, Smith writes, noting that his father was the one who instilled in him his sense of loyalty and perfectionism. He was one of the greatest blessings of my life, and also one of my greatest sources of pain. For decades, Smith has seen himself as a coward. His desire to please people, to entertain the crowd, 
and to make us all laugh, he explains, is rooted, at least in part, in the belief that if he kept everyone, his father, his classmates, his fans, smiling, they wouldn't lash out with violence at him or the people he loved. If he could keep making his mother proud through his accomplishments, he reasoned, perhaps she would forgive his childhood inaction. What you have come to understand is Will Smith, the alien-annihilating MC, the bigger-than-life movie star, is largely a construction, a carefully crafted and honed character, designed to protect myself, he writes. Later, he says, comedy diffuses all negativity. It is impossible to be angry, hateful, or violent when you're doubled over laughing. I felt like a combination of having completed some phase of my life, and also with my father dying. I just never would have been able to say this stuff about my father beating up my mother, Smith told me. I never would have been able to talk about that while he was alive. The book writing process was difficult, in part, because Smith wanted to be cautious about the places where telling his own story intersected with telling the stories of others. When the first draft of the manuscript was finished, he convened the people who were mentioned most prominently, primarily family and longtime friends, in Miami. I read everybody everything I was saying about them, Smith told me. I had to get 25 people to come to Miami and hear what I'm saying, because I know people are going to have to live with it forever. This meeting was the first time Will had ever spoken with his mother about the times his father hit her. It was literally the first time we ever discussed it, Smith told me. She had never heard my perception of what happened, so it was really cathartic in a way. It went great, but it was a brutal couple weeks, man. It was brutal. The book fills in the details of Smith's younger years, how he went from making high school raps in his friend DJ Jazzy Jeff's basement to the duo becoming the first hip-hop artist to win a Grammy how he blew his money on cars and girlfriends before borrowing a few grand from a local drug dealer to pay for his move to L.A., where he ended up auditioning for the starring role in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air at a party at Quincy Jones's house, how he lashed out at his first love, Tamika, after she had an affair, how his first marriage, to Cherie Zampino, ended under the weight of his growing ambition with divorce papers delivered on Valentine's Day, and how his jealousy of Tupac Shakur, a close childhood friend of his second wife Jada, prevented him from ever speaking to the legendary rapper before his death. Manson said he told Smith that one of the conditions for this to work for me was that everything needs to be on the table. We can't have a PR person coming in and saying, no, that chapter needs to go. Smith was more than game, Manson recalled. Throughout the process, there were certain things that came up, and he was like, why not? Let's put it in. I was worried that a lot of stuff was going to be axed. He actually surprised me. Yeah, that's a little ugly. Let's keep it in there. Most clearly, though, the book provides a detailed accounting of Smith's deliberate effort to become the biggest movie star in the world. I wanted to do what Eddie Murphy was doing. I wanted to make people feel how I felt the first time I saw Star Wars, Smith writes. I wanted to be Eddie Murphy in Star Wars. The pursuit began with one of his first roles, in 1993's Six Degrees of Separation. For a rapper-turned-actor, it was a bold project, a cerebral play made into a film, based on a true story in which Smith's young, gay con artist fools a series of high-society New Yorkers into providing him shelter by convincing them he's the son of Sidney Poitier. One of those New Yorkers was played by Stockard Channing, whom Smith has admitted to falling in love with as a result of staying in character throughout filming, a technique, he writes, that he won't use again. That's very lovely to hear, Channing told me with a flattered laugh. We liked each other and trusted each other. That's actually quite rare. She explained that, Everything was easy from the first time we met each other. He didn't have a lot of the neurotic stuff that most of us have. That brings us to the end of today's article on Varnished. 
part one. If you want to learn more about Airs LA and the types of programs we offer, follow us by clicking on any of the social media links at the top of our web pages. If you like what you see or hear, please click the like button. This podcast is for the sole use of our blind, low vision, and print impaired listeners. Any unauthorized use is prohibited. I'm Ernesto Sambrano, and I'll be back soon with another article. Thanks for listening.